there's a name that is given for God in the Bible. It's a name that we don't talk about very much. It's kind of a surprising name. The name that is given to God is the name Jealous. Have you ever thought about God being a jealous God? That is one of the names that the Bible gives to him. Listen to what we read in the book of Exodus. It says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Now, why is he a jealous God? Because he created us, he provided for us, he redeemed us through the life and sacrifice of his son. He is withheld, as it says in Ephesians 1, nothing from you in the heavenly realms. He has provided all things for you. All he asks is that we would love him as the first love of our lives. Now, the reality is because we are born into sin, conceived into sin, and living in a sinful world, it is difficult for us to not be wooed away by the things that the world has for us. It may be money that we love at times more than God. It may be security that we love at times more than God. It may be relationships that we love at times more than God. Health, security, children who obey us, grandchildren who listen to us, whatever it is, what is that thing that draws you away from God, that thing that you tend to be more passionate about in your life than you are seeking the Lord. Those are what the Bible calls false gods. That's what the Bible calls idols, and we all have them, those things that draw our heart from God. I remember many years ago, I think it was 1982, and the Dodgers were playing the Yankees in the World Series. And I got to go to one of the games, it was game uh, five, and the series was tied two games apiece. And I was sitting in these incredible seats that my grandparents owned, and I can remember that we were down, the Dodgers were down one nothing in the seventh inning. Ron Guidry was pitching, and he was just mowing us down. And then all of a sudden, Pedro Guerrero gets a hold of one, and it sails over the wall. The crowd goes absolutely crazy. And before we even had a chance to sit down, the first pitch to Steve Yeager, who was up right after Pedro Guerrero, went over the wall as well. Two to one Dodgers, and you would have thought that Jesus had returned. <laughs> we were hugging each other. We had never met each other. We're high-fiving each other. Man, and the game ended two to one Dodgers. Dodgers end up winning the World Series on that pivotal game. The passion, the energy, the focus, it was all there in that, foot, in that football game. Hello. In that baseball game. And it strikes me as I look back on that event in my life that we know how to be passionate, don't we? We know how to have energy for things. We know how to focus on things that really matter to us. In this series, we're talking about the values of our church. And we have written our values in the acronym of RENEWED. And it's a way to help us to remember what we value as Christians. And this morning... 
what we're going to do is we're going to talk about earnestly seeking God. But here are our values, rooted in Scripture. We saw that this morning with Sarah, a high school student who is taking the Word of God and planting it deep in her heart. So at those moments when she needs, when she needs that Word, they're already there. And God, by His Spirit, will, will bring them up and will speak to her and encourage her and strengthen her and challenge her through those words that are in her heart and mind. Today we're looking at the value earnestly seeking God. And what do we mean by that? We're going to see that this morning. But it's about worshiping God as the first love of our lives. It's about being more passionate about our relationship with God than we are about any other relationship that we have with anybody or anything in this world. Next week, we're going to talk about natural outreach. And we have a guy that has written more about natural outreach than anybody I know. We have the privilege of having Kevin Harney here next week to preach on this very value. He's the one who wrote the book that you're reading right now for this series. He's going to be here to share with us. It's going to be amazing. Probably the best communicator that I have ever served with in my life. Engaging relationships. Engaging relationships have to do with how we connect with each other. You see, God cares not just about how we love him, but how we love each other. We're going to talk about wholehearted generosity. We're going to talk about equipped for ministry. We want to be a church, and we're, we're moving in that direction, that is committed to equipping God's people to be all that he has called them to be. We are doing, uh, Kevin and Sherry Harney, next Saturday from 2 to 5. I want to encourage you to not only be there, but to bring people that you know to come and be a part of this. He, he and Sherry, Kevin and Sherry, are going to talk about how do we help the next generation, our children, our grandchildren, how do we help them to embody the values that are biblical? How do we help them to know who Christ is? How do we help them to grow in Christ? How do we help them to find out how God has created them so that they can become everything that God has created them to be? The most important ministry you have is to your children and your grandchildren. But we have to be intentional. And so in next Saturday from 2 to 5, sign up. Let us know you're coming. It's free. Child care up through the age of 6. We're going to be able to equip and train you in this important area of ministry. And then diverse unity. We're going to talk about that. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to be worshiping as all three congregations together. English, Korean, and Mandarin. It's going to be an amazing, amazing series. So this morning, let's talk about what we mean about when we say earnestly seeking God. Now, there's a lot of ways we can talk about this. There are a lot of different spiritual disciplines, and over the next couple of years, we're going to be training and equipping you in many different spiritual disciplines, the purpose of which is to grow closer to God. The purpose of which is to help us to encounter more of the fullness of God in our lives. And they're the very disciplines that Jesus himself practiced. But this morning, we're going to be looking at just two of these disciplines, given the time that we have. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the discipline of prayer 
and worship, both corporate together and individual. So let's look at this this morning. Jeremiah said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is, we're going to see this morning, God is actually knocking on our door of our lives right now. One, inviting us to come into his presence, inviting us to, to know him in a deeper, more profound way. But at the same time, we are to seek him. And he, the promise is when we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. When people say to me, God just seems at a distance, and sometimes even when we're seeking him, he's doing some new work in our lives, and sometimes that will happen. But often the question I ask is simply this, are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you opening the door of your heart to him? Are you opening the door of your mind to him? What are you doing to earnestly seek God? Well, let's look, first of all, at prayer. For prayer, Jesus was communication with the Father, and it was a priority. It was a priority. If you read through the Gospels, you will see that a top priority of Jesus was to spend time alone with his Father in heaven. Now, I love this passage in Mark chapter 1. Here's what it says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I often go back to this passage because it speaks profoundly to me. And the reason it does is one of my biggest excuses for not spending time alone with the Lord, not earnestly seeking the Lord, not going out and spending time in a solitary place in the word and prayer is I'm so busy. Now, don't raise your hand, but does that sound familiar? I'm so busy. Well, this, if you read Mark 1, this was an incredibly busy day in the life of Jesus. I mean, he, he's doing all of these things, and then he hears that, that the mother-in-law of Simon Peter is sick, so they go to the home of Simon Peter. Jesus heals her, and after he heals her, word gets out, and people are lining up at the doors. Let Jesus heal me. Jesus, heal me. And so it's, we, what we read is that Jesus is healing people one after another after another until darkness falls and there's still a line of people. Well, it's dark and they send the people home. Everybody goes to bed, including Jesus. It's been a long day. Every excuse to sleep in. The disciples are sleeping in. Jesus gets up early in the morning and goes off to a solitary place to be with his Father in heaven. Why? Because he understands that that's where his strength will come from. Why? Because he understands that's where the wisdom for his day will come from. Why? Because he needs to be in the love, the unconditional love of the Father. And so he spends that time alone. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once wrote, when I know I'm having an extra, going to have an extra busy day, I get up a few hours earlier to be alone with the Lord. Isn't that just upside down from the way most of us think? Are you spending time alone as a priority with God to speak with him, to commune with him, to fellowship with him? Here's a second thing that we see through prayer. Through prayer, Jesus remained focused, focused on his mission. 
Isn't it easy for us to get derailed on the things that we are supposed to be doing? A text comes, a, um, a football game comes on the TV, uh, whatever it is that derails you or distracts you. And these things happen, and all of a sudden, instead of taking a right, we're taking a left, and we're going in a completely different direction. Or people have expectations for us, things that they want us to do. And they mold and shape us instead of God molding and shaping us and directing us. So listen to what it says in Luke 4. At daybreak, again, we see the pattern of Jesus. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. We see this over and over and over again as the regular practice of Jesus. The people were looking for him, and when they had come to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Jesus, stay. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, in that passage I just read for the first point, same thing happens. And it's because Jesus has been in prayer that he knows that he is not to go back to the home of of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, but he's to go to other towns, for that is what God has called him, the Father has called him to do. So Jesus, listen to what he says. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he went out to preach in the synagogues around Judea. Friends, Jesus is reminded of his purpose. And he is, remains focused like a laser on the purpose for which the Father has sent him. Do you need that in your day? Boy, I do. Because there are times I get going in a direction, and it's not the direction God wants. Now, it's good stuff. There are good things. But it's not the priority for which God is calling me to be involved in. Jesus often left needs. He didn't heal every need. He didn't go back to the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law where there was a line of people waiting to be healed because the Father had sent him on a different mission. And Jesus understood that, I believe, through his interaction with the Father in prayer. Now, I was privileged to write a lot of papers when I was in seminary. One of paper I wrote, my favorite one, I think, in all of seminary. I studied the, the pattern of prayer in the Gospel of Luke, and it's extraordinary. Time after time after time, it says, and Jesus went off to a solitary place to pray. Invariably, in every instance, immediately following that statement, something major happens in the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think what God is telling us is that Jesus is prepared for that moment because he rooted himself in his relationship with the Father. He earnestly sought the Father. He remained in the Father through prayer. But we also are called to worship after the example of Jesus. Last week, I shared a passage with you, and we saw that it was the regular pattern or habit of Jesus to be in the synagogue. The synagogue is similar to what we're doing here this morning, kind of their church. And it was the regular pattern of Jesus to be in the synagogue. But we see a couple of things that Jesus teaches us about worship. He says, first of all, worship is more than we do in the church. It's what we do in all of our life. Now, one hour a week, okay, give or take, 
more take than give. An hour a week, we gather as a church to worship together. But we see the practice in Scripture of people worshiping the, worshiping the Lord when, when we're not all gathered together corporately. It's to be part of our life. And we see here one example. Well, worship, worship is to be expressed in everything that we do, every life decision, every attitude is an opportunity to worship God when we do what God has called us to do. Listen to this passage in John 14. We read, any, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. What is worship? An expression of love for God. An expression of knowing and proclaiming he is God and I am not. And that's something we need to remind ourselves of on a continual basis. I'm not God and neither are you. He is God. He rules. He reigns. He's supreme. He is the one who's to be worshipped. He is the one who is worthy of my love. So what does Jesus say? He says that the way that we express love, worship for God, is through our obedience in all of life. He says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my, my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Listen to what it says in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It means not just what I sing in a worship service or being involved in prayer as a, as a church or being involved in um, whatever we're doing and listening to a sermon in church. Everything I do the rest of this day is an opportunity to offer my life, my body as a living sacrifice. How do I do that? By sacrificing what I choose for me to give to God in order to be obedient. So we see that worship encompasses not just what I do here, but all of life. And then we read on, and we see the example of Jesus. Our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. In this great passage in John chapter 4, we read this great passage where, where Jesus is meeting with a woman who he has quite a conversation with. But at one point, he's telling her about worship. Listen to what he says. Jesus said, yet a time is coming, and now has come when true worshipers, what is worship? Worship is earnestly seeking after God. Worship is connecting with the Lord. Worship isn't thinking about my neighbors. Worship isn't thinking about whether I like the song or like the sermon or, or I'm interested in the prayer. Worship is engaging with God in, together as his people. That's what it is. That's why we at Crosspoint have chosen not to do worship that is, that is entertaining where you can just sit back and watch, but where, where we're inviting you to be engaged because that is earnestly seeking after God. He goes on, he say, says, true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? It, 
is first in spirit means to be driven by the Holy Spirit. It's because it's by the Holy Spirit and through Jesus that we come to the Father, that we can have a relationship with God, that we can connect with God, that we can know God, that we can have a relationship with God. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and now we receive the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus. And by the power of the Spirit, we are able to connect with God. And it has to do with authenticity of the heart. It means that I'm seeking to engage with God. I'm not just going through the motions. Being in church doesn't make me a worshiper. I'm a worshiper by what I choose to do when I'm in church. And so I choose to engage with the Lord. I, I choose to earnestly seek after the heart of God. In, in truth means that we do it in a way that is biblical, in a way that is truthful according to the ways of God. Now, having said all of this, I want to talk now about how we can grow in our ability to earnestly seek after God. Now, we're going to give you, tomorrow you'll receive some things. We're going to give you lots of different ways to earnestly seek after God. If you are, if you have, uh, and it's in our bulletin this morning, if you have not taken the, the spiritual assessment, it, it, that link is in your bulletin, and we've sent it out a couple of times, but you can take that, and it will give you all sorts of resources to grow in all these areas except one. We found one that lined up almost identically with ours, that all but diverse unity, resources to to get better at earnestly seeking after God. But what can we do? What are some things that we can do? The first thing I want to mention is a mindset. And this is my, my mindset. My mindset is that God wants to be with me. And if that's not your mindset, then your mindset needs to be transformed by the truth of God's word. God wants to be with you. He wants to connect with you. He doesn't want you to know more about him. He wants you to know him. One of the biggest problems that we have is that we have a relationship with God through somebody else, through a spouse, through a friend, through a pastor, who we think know God better than we do. God wants us to have a relationship with him that is our relationship with him. Friends, I'm not satisfied to know that God is a God of love because somebody's told me that or even because I've read it in the Bible. I know it's true, but I want to know that truth in the context, in the circumstances of my own life. Amen? Isn't that what you hunger for? More of God. Be filled fully by God, by His Spirit. I don't want to just know that He's a faithful God. I want to know His faithfulness in the context of my very life. I want to know that because I have encountered Him in my life. And so I know him. And so here, listen to what we read in one of just many passages. And this passage um, is often read in the context of non-believers, but it's not. This is written to Christians. So if you've heard it like at a, at a crusade or something, this passage was written to the church, you and me. What does he say? We read this. The, Lord's, the Lord is speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, in that culture, when you were eating with someone, it was the word we would use today, it was deep fellowship. It was connecting in a deep, deep way. So what the Lord is saying to me is, behold, I stand at the door of your life and I'm knocking. And if you'll just open that door, I will come in and I will fellowship with you. I will commune with you. I remember that every time I sit down to pray. I remember that every time I'm earnestly seeking God. It's not, it's not God that's not there. It's me who's not there. And so I remind myself, and so if you have in your head, no, oh God, I'm not that important, or I, I've done so many naughty things in my life, or I've made so many mistakes. No, it's not true. You are bought and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And the Lord stands at the door of your life right this moment, and he is knocking. If any will open that door, I will come and fellowship with him. The God of the universe says that. Why in the world would we not be pursuing him? Why in the world would we not be excited and passionate about this reality? The God of the universe wants to be with you. Wants you to know him. He already knows you. He wants you to know him. And we read on. A second, a second challenge is this. Following the example of Jesus, find a quiet place. Find a quiet place to Focus on the Lord in prayer and worship. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely or solitary place to pray. Friends, it is hard to find peace and quiet in this world. And it's not because the world's so noisy. It's because I invite that noise in. Now, when I had little toddlers, it was a noisy world. But now that our kids are grown, we've got a lot of quiet unless we turn on the TV, have the computer running, uh, checking Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is that we do. We're so easily distracted. Where is that solitary place that you can go? Maybe it's a room in your home. Maybe it's in your backyard. Where is that place that you can go on a regular basis where you can be alone with God. No distractions, no distractions, just alone with God. In our Rooted class, we give people, is it an hour or two hours? So an hour alone. And most people before we do it are thinking, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do for an hour? That's a long time. Did you know that's 60 minutes? It's incredible. I have never had somebody after the hour say, wow, that was long. It, it does something in their souls. I remember working with college students and we, uh, a bunch of, I didn't actually go on this trip, but when I was working with college students, they went up to, um, to uh, houseboats. And in this particular uh, week, they, they had all the students go for three hours alone to spend with God. And the students, I understand, were complaining about it beforehand. When those students got back, almost every one of them said to me that the highlight of their trip was that three hours alone with God. Why? 
because that's what we were made for. We were created to be in relationship with God. That was Adam and Eve. That is the hole that's in our heart that sin has created. We were created to, to be in relationship with the living God. It's extraordinary that God would want that with, with us, but he does. He does, and he loves us. I remember when Beth and I go, um, we go uh, out backpacking or out in the woods, the mountains. We love to find a stream or a lake, and we'll bring our Bibles, and we will spend a long time, about 10, 15 feet apart, and, and just in the Word and in prayer, separate, our solitary place. And I tell you, my soul hungers for that. It hungers for that. It longs for that because that is food for my soul. It is water for my spirit. It's life for my body. That's what I was made for, earnestly seeking after God. And third, communicate with the Lord throughout each day. This is a passage I've always loved. Rejoice always. Yeah, but I'm having kind of a bad day. Rejoice always. Yeah, but I'm kind of tired. Rejoice always. He said, then he goes on, he says, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. What does that mean? It means pray continually. You may want to take that note. I mean, that was profound. Pray continually means praying continually. Now, it, most of us, what we do is we have certain chunks where we pray. I have my little time alone with the Lord, maybe at morning or evening. I pray at my meals, and that's it. That's not, what, that's not how Jesus lived. It's not what the Bible teaches. Pray continually means praying with a constant awareness of the presence of God. Praying with a constant awareness and allowing prayers to just bubble up in any moment of any day as you're going through your day, boom. As you're going through your day, you see something and you pray for someone. You, you see something beautiful and you give God thanks for that. And you rem are reminded of a need that somebody has and you pray for that. And you, and, and you just go through your day where these prayers bubble up. I was thinking about sometimes when Beth and I are taking long trips, and we've taken a many a long trip over the years from Michigan to um, California, back and forth. And we'll go stretches where we don't say anything to each other. And we're not mad at each other. We're just sitting in each other's presence, and we're just kind of thinking and, and driving. And, and all of a sudden, something will happen, or we'll see something, or a thought will come, and we'll just start talking about it. That's what it is with God in the course of a day. Just connecting with him throughout the day. It's a wonderful way to live. Sherry Harney wrote a book on that called Praying With Your Eyes Wide Open. It's really pray continuously. Here, number four, engage in corporate worship with your whole heart and your, and your mind. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. We remember what it is that excuse me, that God has done for us. When I worship, I want to be fully present. In fact, I get in trouble sometimes because I forget I'm supposed to get up and do something. And Tim will be nodding at me, you're supposed to be up here, and I'll just be 
caught in my little moment, and I, I'm trying to get better at that. But one of the things that I've realized, friends, is that I want to be give God my very best. We only do this an hour a week together. And so the reason I sit up front, because you're going to find this shocking, but I'm easily distracted. And so, no, yeah. So I sit up front because I, I don't get as distracted. And this I know, I have, my singing voice is worse than anybody in here. People, I've told people I'm, I'm tone deaf, and they say, that's impossible, nobody's tone deaf. And, and literally, and I've had this happen twice, until they've heard me sing, they say, you know, you might be tone deaf. But I can sing as loud as I want to right there in the front row. In fact, sometimes I'll step about three feet in front of Beth so she doesn't have to hear me because I throw everybody off who's around me. But it doesn't matter. God gave me this voice, and it glorifies him. It doesn't bless anybody around me, but it glorifies God, and that's all I care about. I want to engage in prayer. I want to engage in the sermon. I don't think, oh my gosh, I don't like that song, or boy, that preacher's boring, or all oh, this prayer is going on and on and on. I don't think that way. I don't care what church I'm in. I'm there to worship God. It doesn't matter what church I'm in. I'm just there to worship God. I want to give him all my heart and all my, my, my hind, all my mind. <laughs> that could be biblical, by the way. I have no idea. Earnestly seeking God. I think you get the point. Um, I want to close with this incredible story that I, that I read um, a little while ago. It's in, it was in Christianity Today, and it was uh, um, written by a singer-songwriter, Kira Fontana. Some of you may know that name. She's a Christian artist today, but for many years, she was one of the go-to people for, uh, uh, as a voice coach. And she was uh, settled in Los Angeles, and people would fly over the world to come and to allow her to coach them. People, uh, she was a coach for Glee. She was a coach for The Voice. I mean, she was highly sought after. She was, she's amazing. And while she was in Los Angeles, she, she realized that her life, something was missing in her life, so she got connected to this uh, church that was, it was called, their tagline was spiritual for non-religious people. And she, the church was, um, through the church, she adopted Eastern beliefs and practices, uh, spiritual practices. And she writes this, after almost 20 years of spiritual seeking, I truly believed I had attained higher levels of consciousness than most people. I believe there were many roads to God and my thoughts were awash with love and light and other positive thinking mantras. However, when I really looked at my life, I knew that there was something missing. Then her family met Jesus. Her brothers, her sisters, they met Jesus. And they began to challenge her and the church she was attending. So she goes on to say, my brother asked me, who do you think Jesus is? I answered, he was a great spiritual teacher, one of the most enlightened people who ever lived. And he responded, how can you live like Jesus when you know, have no idea who he really is. You've never read the one book that would tell you about Jesus. So she said, I spent a solid year praying and reading the Bible. Scripture confronted me with many ideas my new age mindset simply couldn't process. As I did this, God began revealing his truth in ways 
that radically transformed my heart and my mind. In time, I came to see that my most cherished beliefs had all been focused on me. Even though they were framed in spiritual ways, they were orientated towards self-realization and self-help. But discovering the Bible's definition of good shattered this confidence. I finally saw that I wasn't capable of being a good person on my own. I needed a savior. Meanwhile, God had gradually opened my eyes to the reality of evil in the world, but day by day, God revealed to me the real state of the world, pulling back a veil and showing me depths of darkness I had never fathomed. I began attending a local church in Santa Monica, asking God to reveal himself and praying he would bring, out of the dark, bring me out of the darkness. I asked a ton of questions. I read a multiple books on apologetics. Eventually, I was ready to finally surrender myself to Jesus. Since I put my faith in Christ, God has redeemed everything that was lost in my life. Friends, that's my story. He has redeemed everything that was lost in my life. He is the God I want to know. He is the God I want to earnestly seek after. She says, he freed me from the prison of my selfishness, rescued me from darkness, brought me into his glorious light. He's given me new purpose, equipping me to serve his kingdom and glorify his name with music. There is no greater joy. I hope that's your story. I hope that you've come to see, to know that Jesus Christ. He is worth giving all to seek and to pursue. Will you pray with me? And as I'm praying, I want to invite the praise team to come forward. Our Father, thank you that you speak to your people. Thank you that you minister in the hearts and minds of your people. Thank you that you stand at the door of our hearts right now, the door of our minds right now, the door of our lives right now, and you are knocking, ready, waiting for us to open that door so that you may come and we may fellowship with you. Oh God, we want more of you. We want more of you. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.